Well, the final round of the regular season definitely delivered as teams made their case for their finals credentials. AJ and Reese recap a massive week of rugby league, which saw the Roosters christen their new home. This is the league scenes look at round 25 of the NRL season. to the League Scenes look at round 25 of the NRL season. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor of the League Unlimited website and the Front Row program. Joining me, as always, is our Nothing But League contributor, Reese Sullivan. And Reese, we are 25 rounds down at last. Jesus Christ, that went quick. It did. But I think we're all a bit better for it. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun regular season, all things considered. It was. Uh, it, we had a lot of fun this year. Yeah, so let's hope the final series lives up to that. Yeah, before we get into it, I would like to thank every single one of our viewers, our listeners, because thank you for giving us an hour of your week to listen to us ramble on. It really means the world to get recognised, like a few of the Rooster supporters did at Allianz Stadium. So to those people that I got to meet on Friday night, thank you. I appreciate I've been that. recognised around uni too, so it's just—it's an awesome feeling. It is just that sense of gratitude, eh? It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and without further ado, my friend, let's get into talking about round twenty-five of the season. Parramatta twenty-two defeating Melbourne fourteen. It was really a semi-final dress rehearsal for these two sides. Melbourne, obviously, without Jerome Hughes, but to me, they seem to be lacking on attacking options without Jerome Hughes. And that led to a lot of pressure on Cameron Munster. And I think as we've noticed at times this season, when Munster's had to put the team on his back, and you take a look, that's spine missing a lot of key weapons, a lot of key outside backs. He and Harry Grant had to really carry that spine, and he seemed to fail to live up to expectations, if that's fair. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I mean, I've said it a couple of times. You know, Munster at fullback, it's... Probably his natural position. No, it's definitely the position where he makes the most impact in a game. But when you move when you move Munster to the fullback, you lose so much in the halves, and that's what I think hurt Melbourne to that, um, on Thursday. Obviously, without Hughes, they were relying on Cooper Jones, and I sh- I'm just going to assume they had Nick Meany as the five eight, pretty much. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So you know. As far as halves combination go, um, Johns and Meany isn't exactly what I'd go with. You know, especially in a game which would decide which team gets fourth place. Yeah, tend to agree there, my friend. But what I was really impressed with as far as um, Parramatta were concerned was the way that they were able to frustrate the Melbourne pack. And... I made a few comments on Twitter about how Melbourne's pack seemed to have a lot of heavy legs after the loss against the Roosters and that heavy, hard forward battle. Do you think that was the case here? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think the Storm definitely took a massive battering 
against the Chalks. Um, and I think they didn't, they weren't able to recover from it fully. You know, you look, you look at the numbers the Storm Forward Pack was able to put out. Um, Asafa Solomon only 71 meters, Bromwich only 79. Well, both Bromwich brothers, 79 for Jesse, 74 for Kenneth. I thought they were both poor. I thought yeah. Jesse in particular, very poor. He had that forward pass, which led to the first try. Yep, you're 100% right. Uh, it's interesting. Double check this quickly, quietly. Because Kami Kamitha, 138 metres. I've been really impressed with Tui over the yeah. last six Same. or seven I weeks. Wanna, I just want to see something. I have a thesis. I just want to clarify it before we go anywhere. You have a thesis. <laughs> I have a thesis, yes. And my thesis is true. Yes. So, Kami Kamitha. Best performing forward for Melbourne, round 25, but one of their worst in round 24. So I think that I think that pretty much confirms your theory about heavy legs. Yeah, I I, I made that. I mean, look at Kamakamiki, played 52 minutes uh, last, uh, sorry, in that game against the Storm. Best performing forward, as we touched on. But I just think Melbourne at the moment, without the calming nature of Hughes, Pappenhausen, they're going off the ropes a lot, discipline-wise, as well as completion. Like, their completion rate on Thursday night was 75%. In the Bellamy era, that's typically a low number. But what's more alarming for me is the penalty counts. Like, you look at the... It was an 8-6 penalty count against the Storm, and then you throw in the two set restarts as well, on top of the 11 errors. Is that alarm bells heading into... The Canberra game where we know Canberra like to ruffle up the storm? It definitely is, especially where you look at how the penalties were distributed. Both wingers picked up a penalty. Nofaluma also gave away a six again. Munster gave away two penalties from the back, which you don't see very often. Asolva Solomona, again, getting pinned for a penalty, getting put on report. Kafusi for a penalty. Kamakamitha, Chris Lewis. It's all the usual suspects. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue because you know, teams are going to target that. Maybe the Raiders won't in week one, but they win this game. They go against either Power or Penrith week two. They will definitely target those players. Yep, and 100% they, some, they will. And then if they somehow pull that out of the hat, you know, Sharkies and the Cowboys will be the exact same. Mm-hmm. I think the two Munster penalties would have come off um, short tens not finding the mark. Ah, that makes sense then. Yeah, the short dropout that led to the penalty goal, I think it was on the half an hour mark in the first half, where the ball barely broke the plane. Yes, you would be correct. And then you had the, uh, the short, short dropout, dropout that led to the penalty go, goal. Yeah. yeah. And I thought Melbourne, they did well to get back into it, but the goal, I mean, Cameron Bart's the goal kicking. <laughs> Come on. Nofa even ran around under the posts to make, near the posts to make it easier, but... There's something with his goal-kicking mechanic that just seems off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. Because, you know, you have... I'm, 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 I don't mean to put shit on your guy, but you have Sam Walker with his knuckleball goal-kicking. And even that looks smoother than Munster's attempts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one for Munster. Seems like it's the one part of his game he's not a, a world beater at. 
but I'm sure it's not going to stop teams giving him multi-million dollars next season. Whether it's a storm or the Dolphins, we'll just have to wait and see. But Parramatta do move in in that fourth position. They take on Penrith next oh, this Friday night coming up at Bluebed Stadium. And despite what I've seen on Twitter today, the cat fighting has begun between Parramatta and Penrith supporters already. Already, and it's only Monday. It's going to be a long week, folks. But so I fun. can't wait. I can't so wait, my fun. friend. Let's do it. It's going to be a lot of fun, the finals. And, of course, we'll be back next week to cover everything as well. But if Jerome Hughes plays next week, we know what Melbourne's record against Canberra is like. Do we see the Raiders springing upset? Well, if Hughes doesn't play, I definitely see it. Um, if Hughes does play, it makes it a lot harder for Canberra, but I think they can still do it. I think Canberra is, right now, probably the team. Canberra and the Chalks are probably the two teams you least want to face in the finals. 100% you know, seems that way, my friend. Obviously, Penrith would be up there too because of just how dominant they've been. But even Penrith, you have you can make the argument, well, you know, Cleary has just, has just come back off the suspension. Luai is just coming back from injury. They might be a bit rusty. This might be the time to beat them. We'll wait and see. But anyway, moving on to Friday night's matchup, and it is another tank ball. Oh, yeah. Our second last one of the year, my friend. Uh, about blood time. Trying to get rid of the round ball rocks. But anyway, Parramatta, well, not Parramatta, they haven't been in the tank ball all year. 21 <laughs> points to 20 victory for the Bulldogs over Manly. What a way for these two interesting sides to the part 2022. Just as it appeared Manly would show some pride, they choked a 16 0 lead and let the Bulldogs seal it with a Birdo field goal. Uh, KO Weeks, I think, is a good prospect at fullback, but with Turbo's impending return, it might be a good idea for him to look elsewhere. For the final time this year, it's time for Schuster Watch. This week for Josh Schuster, 18 minutes of game time, so less doesn't mean more. Two runs for 16 metres. Nice. Five post-contact metres. Perfect. Hang on, it gets better. It gets a little bit better. 3.57 play the ball speed. He's improved that on last week. Getting better every week. Hang on, we're getting better here. 100% tackle efficiency. Oh, good God. Has he actually changed? But only eight touches of the football. It's a better season finale, but Josh Schuster will need to work a lot in this offseason. So that is the last edition of Schuster Watch. <laughs> We'll have to do one for the World Cup. We will have oh, yes, to do 100%. one. Well, he might not play in the World Cup, though. He won't be there. <laughs> but what exactly. did you take? I'm going to let you drive this discussion because I was out at um, Allianz on Friday night and missed this game. What did you make of it? Fair enough. I thought, well, first half, Manly were just very dominant. Um, well, not the first half, more the first 25 minutes of the game. Um. Like you said, Manly looked like they might be able to just run away with it. Uh, I thought, in particular, like you said, KO Weeks, he was excellent. 220 metres, you know, didn't 
really get on the ball as much as he probably should have. But when he did get on the ball, he was doing the good stuff with it. Uh, four, four tackle breaks as well. Like, that's very impressive from a youngster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cherry Evans, I thought, that first 25 minutes, that was the best he's looked in over a month. Um, and then Lockie Croker, too. He's, he's running out of dummy half isn't the best. And I don't think you'll have any Manly fan that will disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But he does know how to pick out the right man. He does, and I think with uh, the stuff surrounding Manisi Fainu kind of going away, that's his ninth spot to lose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but then, around about the half hour mark, the Bulldogs started to just really get into the rhythm that they've shown in the in these last few months on the Mick Potter. And I thought, in particular, we rave about him, but. Hold on. Give me a sec. What's up? I'll jump in and just say something here for a minute. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be all right. Yeah. All right. Come on. Well, I think what the one thing in yeah. particular... Tomorrow. Yeah. ...that the Bulldogs have been able to do in these last six, six or seven weeks of the season is that... They've been consistent in the lineups that they've produced. Like, I remember saying when Mick Potter took over that they needed to keep the spine together. They've done just that. They've yeah. been really consistent with the yeah. effort that they put in. And exactly. And one of the big things we said was, you know, Carl Flanagan. We were uh-huh. both in agreement that if Flanagan was, allowed, was given more freedom within the team, allowed to be played more like a halfback, the team would improve as a result. And just quickly, last last Flanagan watch of the season two uh, for the touch watch, 48 touches, which is the most of any Bulldog not named Joe Marshall King. Boom! <laughs> so, Ted Barrett, eat your heart out, mate. Yeah, it's an interesting case to make there. I mean, the intercept merge and Josh Adokar is a bit of a defensive liability. Eight fantasy football points for Josh Adokar. He's not attacking the sa- he's not attacking the game. I feel the same way as he used to at Melbourne, but that's something to watch for by the end of the season. But Tupo, question mark. He's he's worse than Tupo. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Um, but <laughs> but my friend, we do need to talk manly for a minute. There have been a number of things that have come out of the News Corp tabloids in the last 24, 48 hours. Many of it has been debunked by Tom Trebojevic, Jake Trebojevic and Daly Cherry Evans. But in the last hour, Manly's football department have, been, have asked their players to fill out an anonymous survey which is expected to show whether Coach Des Hasler still has the support of the playing group. Now, the players were asked to undertake this survey as part of the end-of-season review. Now... This has emerged at the time as the club is grappling with revelations of internal bickering and player dissent towards Des Hasler. What do you make of that one? I swear this happens every single time Hasler is at a club. Mm-hmm. Eventually the players revolt and he's thrown out the door. Uh, it's unfortunate because at least with the other two, you know, when he first 
left Manly to go to the Bulldogs, the players turned around because they didn't want him to be their coach in 2012 when he'd already signed elsewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and then with the Bulldogs, they turned around, they turned on him because they weren't getting good results and he was trying to enforce different tactics that just weren't working. This yeah. one is a lot more stupid. This one is just the playing group has completely given up on him. And to me, it's just a cop-out. If the players do decide that they want to move on from Des Hasler, it's an absolute cop-out by a group of players that have too much power within the Manly Seagulls. And it's going to set the team back at least three years. Yeah. Now, it's understood that some of the uh, questions include the following. How would the players feel about a new coach in 2023? Their thoughts surrounding the assistant coaches and the roles they play. What they thought of the club's support staff, the level of support they received from the club this year, and general questions surrounding the handling of the Pride jersey. Yeah. Um, my, my real question is, if Manly do decide as Asla, who do they go? Who do they go for as a coach? Now there is a young man by the name of Stephen Hales. He is the New South Wales Cup coach. He has a lot of ties with some of the members of the playing group. Uh, he's a name that I've seen get thrown around. Um, I I have heard that. I just think it's a bit too early for him to become an NRL head coach. That's well, my. I tend point. to agree, but who's out there on the market? They can't bring Tuvi back for Mark Two. Uh, Trent Barrett's off at Parramatta, as is Nathan Brown. Christian Wolf secured his future at the Dolphins. There's really not a lot of options for Manly to go for. Desperate enough, they could go for Maguire. Hearing hearing him on the Matty John show last night, his main focus is New Zealand at the moment. And with with a World Cup year, I don't think the timing would be right enough to take the reins. I will say the other alternative for that, and this is a coach that has connections with Manly, John Cartwright. Ooh. Currently the Broncos assistant. He has been a Manly assistant in the past. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you had to put all the chips on the table, he'd probably be my preferred candidate to get the job. If you're sacking Des Hasler for John Cartwright, you're probably not doing a good job. Yeah, and you got to think too, Adam O'Brien's potentially going to be on the hot seat as well. There's a lot of still umming and ahhing as far as the coaching world is concerned at the moment, mate. But we've got to move on because otherwise we will lose our minds. <laughs> but I will say quickly before we, tank th- to us. before we throw to the next game, the Bulldogs have appeared in 11 tank bowls this year. That is ridiculous. They've appeared in 11 of the shittest games in the rugby league season. Good work, Bulldogs. You won one award. Exactly. They, they are the official Tank Bowl champions of 2022. Okay. Bye-bye. Just the Kennedy Backstab Bulldogs. You won something, boys, and it wasn't the one spoo. But anyway, moving on now to a part of the podcast I'm actually excited for. Roosters 26 defeating South Sydney 16. First of all, I'm happy to report Allianz Stadium is worth every cent. That's good. Mate, I'm telling you. You'd hope so. That stadium 
is amazing. Okay. I'll have to go there one day. One day. you got to get to Combank first. <laughs> True. But anyway, uh, the only complaint I do have is a lot of utility problems, but I think that they'll be sorted out in due time. The farm, I mean, they have a very big few opening days coming up. Hopefully all the problems will be solved by the start of the 2023 season. If not, hopefully by the um, Sunday where the Roosters have the double header of the NRLW and the uh, elimination final against the Vermin. Speaking of the Vermin, let's do it. On to the game. On to the game. Yeah. The, the Roosters blitzed the bunnies early, I thought. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. You know, they got the very quick try in for Angus Cross coming in for the Desco, you know, first 20 minutes of the game. And then they also had the penalty goal through Sam Walker. So getting up 14-0 in the opening 20 minutes, it's usually a very good sign. I thought one of the big things they did, which got them that early momentum they put a lot of pressure on Lockie Ilias, both in attack and defence. They isolated him well. Like, you look at the... Yeah. Like, Kiri was causing him all sorts of issues. But the one thing that cannot be overlooked here from a South Sydney point of view, Cam Murray, second tackle of the game, he's gone. Because of yes. a bit of poor technique, but also a strong run from Kevin Nagama. Yeah, but that really put a lot of strain on the interchange meant for South too. It forced Mamazelos and Nichols, even Harmesele, to play a lot more minutes than they were probably expecting. Yeah, I and tend to agree result, there. Pardon? I tend to agree there. We're just on a bit of a delay at the yeah. moment. But... And as a result of that, a forward pack that already really step up to match it to the Roosters' level was even more on the strength. Yeah, and it has to be said, the Roosters are one of those informed forward packs of the competition at the moment. Uh, Sam Walker, I got to meet the bloke before the game. Very lucky sighting from me. <laughs> but he is one of the game's most improved makers. In terms of eyes up footy, I might be biased here, but he's one of the best. I think, I don't think you're wrong. I think he has that innate ability to just be able to read what the defense does in his first two steps with the ball. So he makes two steps, he sees the way the defense reacts, and he knows what to do off the back of it. That's the perfect foil for the more analytical Luke Keery, who will take multiple plays, setting up something, and then execute it. Mm -hmm. And it just gives the roost two-dimensional halves combination, which you need if you're going to go and win a premiership in the NRL. This is what we needed at the beginning of the season, but unfortunately, things took their time to work out. Uh, but Latrell Mitchell, he got booed on every touch, and rightly so. Uh, very lateral in his running off thought. Lots of sideways movement, and as a result, got driven back in defence, forced that goal line dropout, which allowed us to build that momentum, which led to the first try that Reese touched on earlier. Uh, I feel when the troll's more direct than running the football, he's a better ball runner. So why he's running sideways and participating, another 
uh, participant to our world-famous Sideways Olympics. I don't get it, mate. I think one of the big things with Latrell is he still... I don't think he's still 100% confident with the hamstring. You reckon? And that could be the issue as to why he's not committing himself to those big runs. Although he did have... Well, he massively led the Rabbitohs in kick return meters, which I think he he rarely does. We kick to him a lot. throw those passes to Milne or Johnston and get them to bring the ball up on the kick returns. We targeted him early in the kicking game, without a doubt. Yeah. You force him to make a decision. I think it hurt him overall because he he was putting a lot of effort on those kick returns. It wasn't allowing him to get free. Well, realistically, the Rabbitohs were struggling to get into your half and into your red zone. Yeah, it was just that so, domination of yardage that gave us the forward momentum. Yeah, exactly. And it all started probably with, you know, forcing Latrell to bring the ball back on kickoffs. No, yeah, that, that was the big thing. Zero, getting that zero tackle right as off the kick is very underrated in terms of rugby league strategy. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, 705 kicking metres for the Roosters as well, which is a very big talking point. They also completed. They only made five errors all game, which in the Roosters' era is very freaking rare. That's <laughs> To be fair, to be fair, Tedesco made two, Watson made two. Yeah, Connor, so... Connor was probably the more disappointing player. Speaking of, didn't he have a bounce-back game? Oh, man. After people, he... after people thought he was a bit quiet against Melbourne. Did people seriously say that? Yeah, well, Christian Walsh said that the Melbourne game was basically a game where the fullback really... And that was on both sides. Um, because okay. it was so stop-start and because of the forward pack domination the fullbacks really couldn't get into the game the way they usually do. That's fair. I'll, I'll give Christian that one. But I want to get on to Joseph Manu's injury now. What sort of impact does this have for the Sydney Roosters from a Roosters perspective? For me, it doesn't really uh, matter too much. Yes, he's such a dynamic ball runner of the football. You're exactly right. But you look at who the Roosters need to get back in this team. They're going to get Tupo, Suali'i, uh, you're going to get JWH and Verrills back, who played both played limited minutes on Friday night. You Then you're going to also have, there's one more I'm missing, Radley back as well. We're getting Radley back as well. Radley back will be huge for the Roosters against South Sydney. You had that, we were saying before about forward domination. That's the key, isn't it? It will be. And I'll just touch on Manu. Realistically, he had as many touches in the game on Friday as Paul Momorowski. <laughs> so just thought I'd put that into perspective. People who think losing Joey is a death sentence for the Roosters, it's not. They can play through it. It's just going to take a little bit of creativity. Yeah. Um, and w- but yeah, especially if Cameron Murray is past fit to play, getting that leg up in the forward battle is going to be crucial for whoever wins this game. Indeed, it will be, my friend. But, Reese, it's time to bid a sombre farewell now. You know why? 
Why? It is the 2022 season's final edition of Tank Ball. Cue the round ball rock one final time. And what a way to say farewell to Tank Bowls in 2022, Van Vis. Another incredible choke by the Warriors, this time at home. Up 14 with 10 to go, as close as, is as close to a sure thing as you can have it. But no, they choke it away to let the Titans finish with two straight to end the year on a high. Despite Justin Holbrook trying a big brain with Jared Wallace at hooker. Yeah, um, that was an interesting one. And it was even more interesting that he actually played hooker. <laughs> it wasn't the case of, oh, he's named, but they're actually going to put Boyd or Brimson at dummy half. That smokes no, 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 Jared Wallace was actually playing hooker. Stranger things have happened in rugby league, my friend. Very true. That's all I've got um, to say. But on in a game, what'd yeah. you make of it? Well, first of all, first of all, good to see the Titans finally show a bit of heart to come back from 14 down in the closing stages to get the win. Something they haven't yep. been able to do all season. Not necessarily when they need it most, but when... When it matters, I guess. Um, Jaden Campbell, a lot of criticism for him in the last few weeks, but he was excellent. Yep. You know, also just for the naysayers, 67 post contact meters. Not very bad for a stick figure. <laughs> um, um, go on. Yeah, go on. Fuck. <laughs> go on. <laughs> um, Tanner Boyd. A lot. I mean, the mole put out a tweet saying Tanner Boyd's not first grade ready. As Michael Jordan said, I took that personally. <laughs> Good on the young kid. He deserves it. Yeah, he's not first grade ready. Like, it's good that he had that moment in the sun. You know, the fact remains that the Titans really have to question where Tanner Boyd plays next season. Obviously, I would say he would be ahead of Sexton on my death chart. Yeah, that's what I've got as well. But, but it's clear to me combination for the Titans next season is going to be AJ Brimson and Kieran Foran. So we had this discussion fit, last week. Yeah, so where you fit Boyd in that team, you know, that's going to be the question. If Holbrook does stay with the Titans for another season, that's going to be a question he has to find an answer to. Yeah, and I think, too, with Sam Beryl's coming next year, he's an 80-minute player. So that rules out the utility aspect. Or, I mean, Aaron Clark would have filled that utility aspect anyway. So I, I think the only option for Tanner Boyd is to stay as that backup half and the first cab off the rank should Foran or Brimson get injured next year. Or even Jaden Campbell gets injured. You can play um, AJ back to fullback and bring in Tanner Boyd with Foran as the dominant half. Yeah. But for the Warriors, it's been a big season. A lot's happened, but an exciting new era awaits 
with Andrew Webster coming into the reins. But the axe has well and truly been grinded. 15 players are leaving the Warriors next season, including an exclusive broken on the League Scene podcast Twitter page regarding Dejan Assi. He'll be going to the Broncos next year on a train and trial contract. Reese, your early thoughts on that one? Uh, it's always nice to get a bit of halves depth. You know, it's we do need some halves depth, especially with Gamble. If, if Gamble is well, if Gamble leaves, we need that half depth. That's for sure. Um, and I would have him better as Albert Kelly right now, better than Albert Kelly. So, yeah, hundred percent there. Plus. If he does well in preseason, he'll get a very nice contract in the top 30 and he'll do, I'm sure he'll do well for us in the Q Cup. And if we have any injuries or if, you know, Adam Reynolds gets a New South Wales recall, I'm sure he'll slot right in just fine. 100%. Well, we're moving on now. St. George taking on Brisbane. Reese probably doesn't want to talk about this game, but for the sake of the program, we have to talk about it. Dragons 22. Defeating Brisbane 12. Well, thanks to a series of unfortunate events, Brisbane's season has followed that of the Titanic and sank without a trace. I did have something much worse in my production notes, but have chosen not to repeat it. <laughs> Just say it. Fine, then I'll say it. Brisbane's season has followed that of MH370 and sank without a trace. <laughs> Very fair. <laughs> what an absolutely embarrassing seat end to a season that promised so much. Now that the axe has grinded, it's time for my proper assessment. Yes, your season is an improvement. 14 wins is pretty fair spectacular. But the difference after the Tigers' loss is absolutely astounding. The difference in culture and attitude from one half of the season to another is outrageous and quite right disgusting. Like, you have players whinging after a 50, after a 60-12 to 12 loss then you've got players sleeping in on a captain's run. Like, that's that's pathetic. It's amateur hour. What we saw with Selwyn Cobbo last week, absolute amateur hour. And unfortunately, due to their own doing, it has to be said, the Broncos have missed the top eight and now all sorts of questions are being thrown around about Kevin Walters' future. Would I go as far as sack the bloke? No, I don't think that's fair because... Kevy's done so much work to improve this roster from where they were two years ago, which Reese and I touching on at nauseam the last two weeks. I think any decision to give Kevy the boot is unfounded and disgusting. I don't think they'll do it, but there needs to be a serious reshift as far as the culture in that building is concerned. I've had my say. Reese, time to add or back up anything I said. Well, I think you're 100 right. You know, it's, there's definitely an issue with the culture of the Broncos. They still have that loser culture where something goes wrong and they drop their heads. You know, I've touched on it so many times with how irritated I've gotten when we conceded tries on half time. You know, mm-hmm. and the what happened after the Tigers game is just an even greater example. You know, on a on a larger scale. Um, look, I've seen a lot of criticism of Adam Reynolds. That's unfounded. Just be, yeah, it's not fair to turn around and say he's a bad signing just because we didn't make the eight. Reynolds did everything we could to make the finals. Yes, he missed a couple of games because he got hurt, but all the injuries he had this season, outside of the one that happened in fucking preseason, 
was all coming from freak accidents. So I'm not too worried about his long-term durability. Um, yeah. Look, I question where we go at particularly hooker going forward. Okay, Obviously, what are you thinking? Obviously, is out the door. <laughs> um, well, you know, I say that, but it definitely wouldn't surprise me if we re-signed him. I'm not even going to lie. I'm scared that we decide to reverse the decision and re-sign him. Oh, um, But either way, Walters and Pace, even though they're an upgrade on Turpin, I don't think they're necessarily the hooky combination you need to be a top four, to be a premiership contender in the NRL. I think personally, Brisbane should be doing everything they can to try and get Jake Simpkin. You know, especially with the Tigers bringing in apps like Horace out. You know, Simpkin's a player that could be available. And I think the Broncos, he's a Queensland boy. He's a Brisbane boy. Broncos need to bring him home. Okay. Um, and then the other issue I have is obviously the forward pack. I've said it so many times. We just don't have that player who can run with Payne Haas. You know, Carrigan, he came back. He was awesome. But the big thing we've shown in the three weeks where Carrigan's been suspended, even in the win against Newcastle, was that without Carrigan, our forward pack was extremely weak. It was just Haas and everyone else. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the big one I've touched on is Flegler. He's on too much money to be putting up the production he has. I think if we have a chance to offload that salary, we have to take it. You know, obviously, Flag is a very good prop uh, on a cheap deal, a very good signing for a lot of clubs. But I think he just has to go. I don't, Too many brain I snaps, hey? Exactly. That's the issue, the brain snaps. He's basically a mini map lodge for us. And hey! we have, for, for the Broncos, I said. For the Broncos. Okay. And Matt Lodge's time at Brisbane, he had some good moments, but he also had some very bad moments. Um, then the last thing is to keep promoting our young kids in the first grade. Brendan Piacura finally got his crack in the NRL this season. Last game of the year, we effectively paid him $500,000 to play Queensland Cup all year which, in my opinion, is ridiculous. He should have been in first grade much earlier. You know, you got Zach Hosking going to the Panthers. Good luck to him. I hope he succeeds. And I'm hurt that he's leaving because he's such a young man. We can't keep giving to guys like Jordan Ricky, guys like T.C. Rabati, you know, like Keenan Palacio, who continually contribute nothing in the forward pack. I'd argue that they're to... not getting the proper opportunity, though. Like, because we, we yeah, like you so. look at, like you look at the way that I thought Palacio's production earlier in the season was was solid. It was good. TC Rabadi, very much same thing. But TC Rabadi's been out injured, I believe, the last few weeks. Yes. So he's not getting the proper yeah, opportunity, and you keep saying guys like Ricky are underperforming. We've only got one option to replace him with. Well, I mean. That option kind of, you know, it fixes itself if 
but Hines decides to release David Fina. How likely is that going to be? How likely is that going to be? Probably AJ. But why would the Titans be that stupid to get rid of David Fafita? Three. You, you want me to give three reasons? Give the three reasons. Very high potential Mal Meninga leaves at the end of the season. Meninga was instrumental in recruiting Fafita to the Titans, and it might lead to him wanting out. Two. Number two, Fafita is on that big $1.2 million salary. Titans want to retool for next season. They can't afford to keep a player on that salary, even though they're going to clear the salary in 2024, they might want to get rid of it now, especially if they don't intend to re-sign him to a at the end of this current contract. And number three, they're the fucking Titans. This is what they do. <laughs> I get that you, your, your dream is for Fafita to, to come back home, but... My dream is for Dean and Coates and Fafita to come back home. That's not going to happen. What was I just, step one? Think at the salary cap. That's what I'm saying to that one. What but, salary cap? We're the, we're the same as you blokes. The salary cap's only optional. It's just, it's just a guideline. <laughs> fair. That's a fair point. I'm just saying that I think that you've got to look deeper at promoting from within rather than just go out and buy. Like at yeah. the Roosters, obviously, obviously with the hooker, yeah, you know, you've got to go out and buy that because Turpin shit. Yeah, but we we do also have Blake Moser coming through. He's going to be a very person in a couple of years. I have heard good things about him. So you've got Walters and Pakes as the stopgap measures there, don't you? For next season, yeah, exactly. We'll see how that goes. But I want to go into the Dragons quickly. What a fucking try by Matt Figay. Yes. He beat nine yes. of your blokes. Yes. It was quite ridiculous. Off a drop ball by your prodigal son, Piacura. It happens. <laughs> now, maybe maybe if he played more in all games this season, he wouldn't have dropped that ball. Would you have picked him ahead of Reese Kennedy? Yes, 100% I would have. That's just like asking if night follows Dave, isn't it? That's like asking you if you'd rather Joseph Suwali or Paul Momorowski. Fair shout. Fair shout. <laughs> but the point I was making before about not trying to buy your way out of it is when the Roosters had their injuries this year, you had guys like Terrell May, Ben Thomas, Fletcher Baker that are all ready to go. Yeah. And I'm, I am all for the Q Cup players a chance. All right. I'm, not going to sit here and say, oh, if we just get the best team in the league, we won't have to worry about depth. We just win. And if we have players out, oh, well, we'll drop a couple of games. But the thing is, all right, we used 32 players. Mm-hmm. And not all 32 of them contributed to a first grade level. That's a fair so point. So at some point, we have. At some point, you have to start culling the guys who aren't contributing to that level. And if you promote a player to first grade and they can't contribute to the level you need, contribute worse than the player you dropped, how long can you continue the cycle for? Fair point, my friend. Moving on, North Queensland 38 defeating Penrith 
eight. First things first, Penrith did all their, I mean, the Cowboys did all their best. They Let's start that again. Fuck me. Uh, the Cowboys <laughs> did their job and all they could to secure a home final. Obviously, the result we'll talk about after this game prevented them from doing so. The Penrith Cubs tried, but their class difference was obvious. I will say, though, Eddie Blacker has made the best gang-saving tackle since Scott Sattler. 100% he did. 100% he did. I've been, I've been waiting for Eddie Blacker to get into this Panthers side for ages. Now, ever since ever since he arrived there in that um, in that swap deal from the Dragons last season. Oh, for Billy Burns. Billy Burns, yeah. How many games has Billy Burns played for the Dragons this year, by the way? I feel it's like 15-odd. Hold on, I'm going to look it up quickly. I'm going to look it up quickly. Billy Burns. Only four. Oh, wow. That is surprising. Only four. Yeah, so, you know, that's a bit interesting. Uh, also, shout out to Mav Geyer as the 18th man for the Panthers. Mavi! <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll get his chance soon, I reckon. He's got it. I was a bit disappointed that, um, yeah, that he didn't get his chance. But for the Cowboys, they've now got to go through Sydney. We have spent ad nauseum at times this year talking about the Cowboys' record in Sydney. It's not the best. Do you give them much chance though against the Sharks on Saturday night? Um, I'll give them as much chance as they deserve. You know, I'll give them a solid 40% chance, I reckon. You know, on paper, the two teams are pretty even. But obviously that home field advantage is massive for the Sharks. Absolutely massive. It Especially is. Especially against the Cowboys. Their first home final at Points Bet Stadium since 2008. And in that game, Maurice, Missy Talia Papa, this will be a throwback for you, grabbed a hat trick. Wow. That would have been against Canberra, wouldn't it? 2008, yes. Yeah. Wow. And then they went on to lose 28 0 to a storm side without Cameron Smith. Yeah. And so... they just thrived on emotion that game because of basically waging a war with the NRL post the, Bron- the Brisbane game when Cam Smith got sided for the grapple tackle. Yeah, Melbourne basically played their grand final in that prelim. And then when yeah. they actually went to the grand final, they lost 40 points nil. Indeed they did. But for Penrith, obviously, you just throw an asterisk next to this game and move on to Parramatta. Um, but I will say something quite funny. So you know how they spent 50K on that charter flight to Townsville? Yeah. So they could get back primed same day? Yep. It got delayed due to weather. You're <laughs> kidding. And they had to stay the night in Townsville because Sydney's uh, airport's air traffic control closed. <laughs> so why'd they want to get back the same day? Just so they did it, just because it they wanted it to be like a hit run mission, similar to the ah, Project okay. Apollo. Okay, gotcha. Just so Ivan and co. were primed heading into the finals and they could get back on the Sunday yeah. and begin their prep for... Especially, especially when you consider the players that are going to be playing against Para next week didn't have to go through recovery because of this game. Oh, only um, the MKFC. Sorensen. Um, Mitch Kenny. Jennings. And maybe Staines, because he might yeah. be an 18th man. Um. Come on. 
100%. But the NRL is considering punishing Taylor May, who was last week found guilty of assaulting a fan in Maroochydore. May did not have a conviction recorded, but the magistrate recorded the incident as cowardly. The NRL are fast-tracking their own inquiries, which could lead to a fine or potential suspension. If that's the case with suspension, you know who I'd go for? Who? Tito. Taruba. That's the fair shaft, yeah. Over Charlie Staines. Well, you wouldn't want to play Staines in a finals game. Mm -hmm. That's a death sentence. It is very much. Although, if it was against the Sharks, maybe. Maybe. We'll hold on to that that one game in our hearts forever. (laughs) Indeed, we will. Moving on to the Newcastle Knights taking on the Cronulla Sharks. It was a big win for the Sharks, 38 points to 16. Old Boys Day brought a renewed Newcastle. That's what the paper said, and it did not deliver. Still, the class of the Sharks shone through. Nakora played his best game all season, snagging three tries. Lockie Miller will be the utility back number 14 on the bench if Will Kennedy is available. You cannot deny it anymore. Had his best game in the NRL. Also, Reese might hate me for this next sentence, I thought Phoenix Crossland had his best game in first grade. Fuck off. <laughs> You're not wrong, but fuck off. I was covering the game and he just had so much involvement. I thought Tex Hoy as well had a good game too. Yeah, exactly. I think they they really they they have a bit of a connection, but this was really the first time they've had a chance to show it at the NRL level. And I think it came off really well for both of them. Both of them played really well. Clune was able to take a little bit of a step back and just his more natural game. And I think it kept Newcastle in the contest for a little while. Mm-hmm. But when Ramian went over, the floodgates yeah. just opened. Intercepts were definitely the order of the day. Uh, Dom Young went, took one off Nico Hines. Probably Nico's... Worst game in Sharks colours, I thought. Yeah, probably not what you need. They do have a home final, though. Yeah, but to be fair, worst game. And he still gets three line break assists. Yeah. Uh, That just speaks to the class. Yeah, Brendan Okoro bagged a hat-trick. Good signs for New Zealand heading into the World Cup, but... There is a bit of injury concern for the Sharks. Sifa Talakai came off in the 77th minute after an awkward-looking tackle by Newcastle forward Matt Croker. Saw him sent to the sim bin and Croker taken. Oh, was it a great free charge for Croker? Yes, Let it me was. Have a look. So he's looking at two, he, I think he's looking at two games. Especially. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I just – I don't know what to make of hip drops. Now, like – I'll touch on it more in the briefing in a minute, but I think the NRL has kind of made a rod for its own back as far as hip drops are concerned. Because you might disagree, but I we put so much effort into the crackdown last year, making the head almost non-touchable. However, has that seen the spike in these sorts of tackles, do you think? And also the lifting tackle? It definitely has because, you know, teams will always adapt when it comes to tackling. 
teams will always adapt to what the rule book allows them to get away with, and they will do whatever they can to try and slow down the play the ball. One of the big things has always been get the player to the ground completely. Um, obviously, you know, pre pre the crack pre the infamous magic round crackdown, <laughs> you had players aiming up towards the head because it gave them a great chance. You make a bit of an impact, the player drops to his knees. Easy way to take him to the ground. Now that that's, it's not out of the question, but it's a lot more risky. So now you see them doing a lot, everything they can around the leg. You've seen a fair few cannonball tackles this season. And obviously with these hip drops as well. Um, 100%. The question is, how much can you take away from defenders while still not enabling the attacking side to just be able to run away with the game? Yeah, I think that's the dilemma that we're sort of in at the moment because we're seeing a lot that's a bit 50-50. But I think the biggest thing with this high tackle crackdown that the the NRL have kind of gone on is the amount of diving in the game as well. I hate it. I hate it as much. Well, here's a suggestion for it. I don't know how much it fixes, okay? But you take a look. I'm just going to use an example here. The Premier League with VAR. When it comes to general plays in general field, not involving a goal, a referee can only call a foul on the play if it also results the player who committed the foul receiving a red card. Could you potentially, in the NRL, only have the bunker able to interject and call a penalty for a high tackle if it results in a situation where the defender is either sin-binned or sent off? Yeah, I'll get to some statistics surrounding foul play in a minute because they make a lot of interesting reading. So I'll probably save that argument till then. All right, fair enough. Uh, Finally, this won't take long. uh, Canberra 56 defeating the West Tigers 10. It was a strange Sunday after a footy, but sure, it's one that the Tigers would rather forget. Uh, 42 points in 40 minutes. But hey, it wasn't 72 this time around. You stayed in the fight. (laughs) Minor victories. But... Canberra did the bare minimum and now have a road trip to Melbourne. Um, as much as I want to bag the Tigers, I actually feel sorry for James Tamo. The amount of money that he got the Tigers to pay for a lawyer to get back at to Leichhardt for this game. I'm sure they didn't think about that when they were doing their downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> also, Brett Kamoy. That bloke walked yeah. into a mess with headlights. He was a deer in headlights. We picked it pretty much the moment he was appointed interim, didn't we? Yeah. I felt I'll, he was the sacrificial lamb in my view. Yeah. And for me, Tim Sheens and Benji Marshall, I've done zero impact. Benji made all this brouhaha about, oh, I'm leaving Fox and Triple M to get my hands dirty already. Where's the proof? Yeah. I Where's think- the proof? I think the big thing with the Tigers 
they played their grand final against Brisbane. And I'm not I'm not saying that to make the Broncos loss look better. But you think about it. The week before they had that game against the Cowboys. Obviously, coming off of that, they're absolutely fired up. You know, they come out against Brisbane. They have this game and they win. Yes, having um, Hastings break his leg in that game isn't helpful for them going forward. But Hastings doesn't fix the result they had against the Roosters or in this game against the Raiders. Yeah, the first 40 in this one was pathetic. Like, the, the middle third, alarmingly soft. And yeah, I, I, think... I get that they get the reinforcements next year, but it doesn't fix some of those defensive decisions. Yeah, there's a lot of guys on the team, in particular, you know, Tuolangi, you know, um, Offahengawi, possibly even Tarmau. Well, Tuolangi's mentally... already gone. Yeah, exactly. Who mentally have just checked out. Obviously, Tuolangi had, you know, maybe in the back of his mind, he was protecting himself to make sure he'd arrive at Manly in one piece. Um, but, you know, yeah, and obviously, you know, also Tyrone Peachy too. But to be fair, I think he's been put on a Tigers jersey. Remember, he was one of the five captains. <laughs> yep. That ended quickly, didn't it? Yeah, that ended very fast. But, yeah, the Raiders, they just had to breathe and they would have won this game. Uh, they could pull off literally half of their forward pack at halftime and still not choke a 42-0 lead. But it did look a bit scary when it was 42-10 in the first 10 minutes of the second half. <laughs> <laughs> the comeback was on. I was real. Oh. I saw that first half result and I was like, please get to 100 to nil just so we don't have to play Souths next week. Well, did, did you see my tweet? I saw, come on, only 96 points to go. Yeah, 96, 96 nil second half incoming. Hashtag come, come on, on you Tigers. <laughs> I've seen that. Bizarre old day of rugby league, let me tell you. Great Annesley's briefing now. Some statistics to go through today. Uh, more metrics as far as... Um, a lot of things are concerned. Average margin this year, 16.2 points. That's down on last year. Slight increase on 2020. Uh, zero to six point games. We only had 26% of games between zero to six. That's obviously 4% higher than last year, but 5% down on la- on 2020. So make of that what you will. 19 point games. So far. 19-point games, 39% this year, 41% last year, 28%. So, obviously, that's been impacted a little bit by the blowouts we've seen to end the year. So, I don't think we should take too much into that. Yep. Percentage of games within 12 points after 60 minutes, 59% of games, which is higher than 2021 and 2020. So, games are tighter for longer, which is a good thing. Uh, percentage yeah. of ball in life play, 57%. So up on last year, but a down percentage. So it's been relatively consistent. Tries are a bit down on last year, but I will explain why in the next bit of information. Uh, line breaks are down as well as our average offloads. The next one. Infringements, penalties or set restarts. They're down on last year and they're down on 2020, which is good. Only 16.2. So we're slowly learning. Yeah. 
Uh, try saves. So I mentioned tries were down before. We've had 427 try saves this season. Wow. Last year, we had 294. 2020, 310. So is that, in your eyes, is that defenders being able to defend for longer? I think... Able to get into better positions to stop the try? I think it's more the fact that the players are fitter and they're getting into position. Because, you know, last year was the first year where the set restarts were out of control. This year, we brought it back a little bit. The forwards are in the game for longer. And you look at some of those games where... You look at the Melbourne game where it was so stop-start, you had so many try-savers, didn't you? Yeah. I think that's got something to do with it as well, but something I'm sure Graham Annesley and co. are keeping in mind. Tries from scrums gone up from 2021 and also 2020. We've had 50 tries from scrums this year. Seems relatively low, hey? Yeah, but at the same time, it does check out. Yeah. Uh, Short dropouts. We touched on this last week. They're still at 31%, but... Here's the interesting one. Last year, 15%. So your onside kick meter, Reese. And then it was 8% yeah. in 2020. Wow. So you can um, tell us caught on a bit this year. I'm not we'll see how long this trend lasts. Yeah. I'm interested, and... I'm interested to see how many teams have the balls to do a short drop out in the finals. Mate, you know my opinion on it. I fucking hate it. Yeah. Uh, and last one. I just, always have, I just always have that flashback to the bloody Jordan Carhu incident. <laughs> for me, for me, it's the Michael Witt one, which didn't, which went sideways and bounced dead. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and Golden Point games, we've had seven this year. We only had four last year, three in 2020, which. I think if my memory serves me right, we did a call on all three of those Golden Point games. Yes, we did. We had the um, Panthers-Knights game, first game back from COVID. Yeah. We had the Eels-Raiders game. Yeah. And we had the Storm-Roosters game where Flanagan kicked that penalty goal. I was happy for all but 10 seconds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, GPS metrics. Um, I don't need to go through what you guys can simply read there. Nothing's really important. Um, the, it's all relatively consistent year on year. No real changes. Uh, judiciary. Uh, this one's important. 158 charges this year. 317 last year. 166 in 2020. Interesting. Now, 73% are grade one charges. Last year, we had 83. The year prior, 81% were grade one charges. Uh, Grade two, 14% this year, 13% every subsequent year after. Uh, And then this year, 10% are grade threes. Higher than 2021 and higher than 2020. So that's a touch concerning for me. Seems like the judiciary criteria has changed. Well, we know the reforms have been the major part of it as well. Uh, But here's the big one. 93% of players are taking the early plea. What was that number in the past? 90% last year, 89% 2020. Okay, that's good. 
85 suspension weeks this year, 223 last year, but expect that with obviously the increase in charges, 117 the year prior. So the suspension weeks are down due to the new system. I'm sure that number will get higher. So leave that one as with an asterisk next to it. Yeah. So looking at concerning acts, we had 117 uh, concerning acts this year so far, 182 in 2020, 78 in 2021. What do you make of that one? Uh, that's interesting to me. I thought there would have, it would, that would have been the one that's the most consistent. But at the same time, I think a lot of the concerning acts that could have been called in 2021 were called in-game as part of the crackdown. Yeah, I tend to agree there as well. Like when you look at the amount of uh, charges that were grade ones last year, they probably could have been concerning acts. But of course, the NRL were high tackle, high tackle, high tackle heavy last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, moving to uh, judiciary, we've had nine this year, and I think probably over 50% of those would have been incidences that were referred. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Like, let's go through them quickly. We have Mitch Barnett, Marcelo Montoya, uh, Pat Carrigan, Corey Waddell. That's, that's all I can remember. That's the four, yeah. Yeah, so just under 50% of those were the ones referred. Only five have had the balls to try and downgrade a charge issue. And one of them was finding a fucking fine. Oh, yeah, one of them was frigging Kafusi, wasn't it? Yeah, that still blows my mind that they try to do that. Or that they did that. Not even tried. They did that. Okay. Now, actions charged. This is interesting. High tackle this year had 40. 109 last year. 30 the year prior. Ugh. The crackdown makes that look inflated. Yeah, slightly. Uh, Crusher. This is another one that's sort of interesting to see the impacts from crackdown. Of course, we cracked down on it in 2020. 28 charges in 2020. 2021, we saw 34 charges. This year, only 14. Yeah, that's very good. I think there were a lot less crusher calls this year too. I think uh, a lot of the play acting has stopped around crushes. You know, the old, oh, it's all the yeah. back of our neck. Yeah, exactly. Um, shoulder charges. 11 in 2020. 2021, we saw 15. Nine only this year. So again, we're doing well there. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Melees, uh, one charge in 2021, 18 in 2020, only two this year. <laughs> Bring back the biff, lads. Bring back the biff. <laughs> you can do it in origin and only get fined 49% of your match free. Just remember that point. Uh, contact after the pass, seven in 2020. 2021, we saw 20. This year, 13. So still trending upwards on 2020. Yeah, it's doing okay. Now, these are the ones that we think are a result of the crackdown in the increases. Hip drops, 9 in 2020, 13 in 2021, 19 this year. Now, I've got a bit of a problem with the way that the NRL deals with hip drops. It's done under this umbrella of dangerous contact. If it's such a big issue, give it a separate charge sheet like they did with the crusher tackle. Increase the penalties, see how it goes. Yeah, I agree. Like, because it's, it's under the umbrella, and I said this on Twitter to someone today, 
Because it's underneath that umbrella code of dangerous contact, a hip drop could mean a number of other things that fall under the dangerous contact ladder, not necessarily the hip drop motion. I mean, the big example is look at Fumi Mayono versus Carrigan. Exactly. You know, That's my point. Fumi Mayono got those carryover points for a dangerous contact charge, not for a hip drop, hip drop, but he still missed five weeks, whereas Carrigan was referred for a hip drop and he only missed four. Now, that was still under dangerous contact, I think. Let me okay, have a look. But still. But still, the point still stands. Yeah. I think that the – I think if there's going to be any further reform, hip drop needs its own charge. Yeah, definitely. They, and the proof is there that if you give it your own charge, behavior changes. Look at what the crusher tackle this year has been. Yeah, just takes – just give it time for players to adjust. That's the big thing. Yeah. Uh, lifting tackles have gone up 12 in 2020 and 2021, 17 this year. And I think lifting tackles might be responsible for more for the send-offs increases we've seen this year too. Yes. Yeah. Like we've had we Carl Lorden. Carl Lorden. And then we had Nathan and um, Cleary, yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. They got done in the later rounds. But anyway, it is time for our prestigious low cow of the week. This week, I'm going with one that actually happened today. The National Rugby League. Oh, you got the whole hog. Our governing body. Now, you folks think that it's a good idea to do a finals pre-sale for members. So you issue our passwords to all eight clubs to give to their ticketed members. There's one problem. You do... The wrong password. Locking out thousands of fans and allowing other fans to secure finals ticket access. Case in point, South Sydney. They were given the password Souths2022 when it was in fact Rabbitohs2022. So Roosters fans got prime tickets and shoved it up Blake Solly's ass when he said that the Rabbitohs would pack out Allianz. <laughs> but... And come on, when the, when the crowd was 80 to 2, 80% to 20% Roosters dominated like it was on Friday night, Latrell's booing is only going to get louder. Boo! Exactly. Now, and the worst part is, the worst part about that is it's not even like the codes were hard to guess if you're not a member. Yeah, I know. It was pathetic. Uh, uh, but Reese, what have you got? I'm guessing this is from F1 yesterday. Last night? Yes, it is, but amazingly, it's not Ferrari or McLaren. Come on, McLaren. No. Ricardo came in 17th. Yes, well, first of all, shout out to McLaren for putting Ricardo on an excellent four pit stop strategy. What? Yep. He went from the soft to the medium to the hard to the soft to the soft again. My mind, what the fuck? They had no grip on the car, so they were just trying everything with ties. It was very, very weird. But the winners for this week are... Well, what did the Alphas do? So, 
Yuki Tsunoda, he had a best qualifying position of the season with ninth place, but in the race, he dropped back to being on the fringes of the top 10. Um, so AlphaTauri decided to pit him a little bit earlier than some of the other teams to put him on the hard tyres to try and get him track position. And when he came out, he did, started going on his ad laps, and then he reported over the radio that one of the tyres were loose. Okay. Now in Formula One, that is a massive no-no. That's a ball of a team. So he's pulled over to the side of the track to get ready to retire the car. And all of a sudden, Alpha Terrier have come over the radio. It's not a loose tire. It's mm-hmm. like the tires are all screwed on. So anyway, Sonoda trundles back to the pits. He's going very slowly. But he trundles back around the lap, gets into the pits. They switch his tires around. But Sonoda had actually unstrapped himself from his seatbelts, thinking he was going to get out of the car for it to retire. So they had to spend 20 seconds strapping him back into the car. They eventually sent him out. And then when he got to the pit exit, they noticed the car's transmission and told him to stop the car and retire. Oh, no. That was the issue as to why it felt loose in the first place. And they never noticed it until after all that shenanigans in the pit stop. Wow. So, in the end, the worst part about it, and this is a part that all the Mercedes fans are absolutely outraged by, the biggest winner of that incident was AlphaTauri's sister team, Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Mm-hmm. who was able to get a free pit stop to stay ahead of the Mercedes of Hamilton and Russell and ultimately went on to win the race. Extend that lead over Charles Leclerc. Yeah, as he's done pretty much all of this season, mind you. Indeed he has. But, Reese, next week we're going to be talking about finals 42 teams or leavers at the end of next week. What is your bold prediction for week one? I mean, it's not... So much a bold prediction because I think a lot of people are going with it, but I can see Para getting the win over Penrith. You reckon? I reckon. I think Para Penrith are coming to this game a little bit cold. They had the week off last week, which is very hit or miss. And then, like I said, obviously Luai coming back from injury, clearly coming back from suspension. I think it's a prime opportunity for Para to get a win. I think. This might be the only week of the finals where you can actually beat Penrith. Yeah, you saw it happen last year as well. Like Penrith were beaten by Souths in week one. I've also think that way, but I'm going to go something a little bit bigger. You know what I'm going to say? What are you going to say? Melbourne are gone. Ooh. I, you see, I don't have the balls to call that. I'm still too scarred by Melbourne in the past. If one so. team has the, the wall over another... In Melbourne, it's the Canberra Raiders. Yep, that's that is. It's not even like that's an opinion. That is a fact. Four straight wins at Amy Park for the Raiders. They're the only team to have won seven games at Amy Park in its history. Mm-hmm. They've got a good record there. I just think that they've got everything going for them. They've got the Melbourne Pack, who've had two physical games in a row on the slower turnaround on the Saturday afternoon. 
uh, I think that the Raiders have got the goods. Like, their forwards have been playing really well. Tarpany's playing out of his skin, and they're going to get the job done. Yep, and don't forget, don't forget, they also had the chance to rest Whiten and Whitehead last week. To be fair, I think Raiders fans will be thinking Elliot Whitehead's been resting for half the year. True. <laughs> but anyway, that concludes the regular season league scene. When we'll be back, it's our finals recap. On behalf of Reese, I'm AJ Luke Antonio, and we'll catch you next week for our look at finals week one. Take care, everyone.